0: European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 41, Issue 33, Focus Issue, Thrombosis, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. The new editorial board starts with a focus on thrombosis, a key player in many cardiovascular diseases. It is a great privilege and a challenge for me to succeed Desmond Julian, Henri Colbertus, Kim Fox, Franz van der Werff and Thomas Lucia as Editor-in-Chief of the European Heart Journal. Standing on the shoulders of these giants is both thrilling and a little daunting, but I am certain that together with my colleagues from the editorial board, we can take the journal even further and fulfil its mission going forward. This is therefore my first issue at a glance. I've decided to keep this summary article, introduced by the previous Editor-in-Chief, because I've always found it useful to catch up with the issue content during busy weeks when I didn't have time to read all the published studies in depth. Similarly, I also found the associated podcast useful. My first issue starts with an inaugural editorial I wrote with my executive editor colleagues on behalf of the whole editorial board, entitled The European Heart Journal, Leading the Fight to Reduce the Global Burden of Cardiovascular Disease. We outline our vision to achieve this ambitious goal, which is summarised in the last sentence of the contribution. Global teamwork and confidence in the scientific method can allow us to view the future of our planet with optimism. Upholding an open and transparent scientific environment will ensure the future of our journal, the vibrancy of our global cardiovascular community, and achieving the reduction of the global burden of cardiovascular disease. The issue also contains a viewpoint article entitled Diversity is Richness – Why Data Reporting According to Sex, Age and Ethnicity Matters authored by Prof. Thomas Lucia, Prof. Noel Berry-Mertz, Dr. Virginia Miller and myself. Traditionally, data have been reported for the entire patient population of a given study, registry or trial. While sufficient evidence points to sex differences in cardiovascular disease associated with autonomic functions i.e. arrhythmias, Raynaud's disease, menopausal hot flushes, hypertension, hypertension of pregnancy and pulmonary hypertension also vascular remodeling associated with atherosclerosis or spontaneous coronary artery dissection and heart failure if subgroups have been further investigated, they typically involve comorbidities such as hypertension, diabetes, among others, and were often not predefined. Only more recently, data are presented in some studies not only for comorbidities, but also for males and females separately in a predefined manner, while ethnicity is rarely separately presented or analysed, although clinical presentation, treatment effects, and outcomes may differ in many respects. This matter is discussed and the importance of considering diversity when reporting and analysing data studies, registries and trials is highlighted as this may greatly affect the results and eventually also impact guideline recommendations. This issue then continues with a focus on thrombosis. Thrombosis is a key player in several cardiovascular diseases including acute coronary syndromes, stroke, pulmonary thromboembolism atrial fibrillation congenital and valvular heart disease while we already have potent antithrombotic drugs further refinement of our pharmacological armamentarium as well as improvement of our knowledge of the mechanisms of thrombus formation is needed to better personalize our treatments in a clinical research article entitled pharmacodynamics pharmacokinetics and safety of single-dose subcutaneous administration of solatogrel, a novel P2Y12 receptor antagonist in patients with chronic coronary syndromes. Robert Storey from the University of Sheffield in the United Kingdom and colleagues study the pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics of solatogrel that represent a novel P2Y12 receptor antagonist for subcutaneous administration, distinct from the two classes represented by Ticagrelor and Cangrelor. In this double-blind, randomized study of 345 patients with chronic coronary syndromes or CCS on background oral antiplatelet therapy, subcutaneous salatogrel, 8 or 16 mg, was compared with placebo, clinicaltrials.gov, nct03384966. Platelet aggregation was assessed over 24 hours. Verify now assay. Pharmacodynamic responders were defined as patients having P2Y12 reaction units, or PRU, less than 100 at 30 minutes post-dose, and lasting greater than or equal to 3 hours. At 30 minutes post-dose, 89% of patients were responders to Solatogrol 8 mg, 90% to Solatogrol 16 mg, and only 16% to placebo. Like transmittance of aggregometry data, showed similarly rapid and potent inhibition of platelet aggregation. Salatogrel plasma concentrations peaked approximately 30 minutes post-dose. Salatogrel was safe and well-tolerated with transient dyspnea occurring overall in 7%. The authors concluded that Salatogrel is rapidly absorbed following subcutaneous administration in SCAD patients, providing prompt, potent, and consistent platelet P2Y12 inhibition which is reversible within 24 hours, and that further studies of subcutaneous selatogrel are warranted in clinical scenarios where rapid platelet inhibition is desirable. The article is accompanied by an editorial by Gilles Montalisco from the Petit Salpetrier University Hospital in Paris, France, who notes that selatogrel, a P2Y12 inhibitor that can be self-administered subcutaneously, should be tested in the first minutes of AMI to see whether it aborts or at least reduces MI, and possibly prevents cardiogenic shock, heart failure, arrhythmias, or death. It has long been recognised that coronary artery stenting is associated with immune or inflammatory response and with impaired coronary and peripheral endothelial responsiveness. In a three-arm, parallel-designed, randomised, investigative-blinded study on Effects of clopidogrel and prasigrel versus ticagrelor on endothelial function, inflammatory parameters, and platelet functions in patients with acute coronary syndromes undergoing coronary artery stenting, a randomized blind parallel study. Boris Schnorbus from the University of Mainz in Germany and colleagues investigate the impacts of clopidogrel, prasigrel, or ticagrelor on peripheral endothelial function in patients undergoing stenting for acute coronary syndrome. The primary endpoint of this study was the change in endothelial-dependent flow-mediated dilation or FMD following stenting. A total of 90 patients were enrolled. Stenting significantly blunted FMD in the clopidogrel and ticagrelor group, but not in the prasugrel group. Although this difference was confined to patients who received the study therapy 2 hours before stenting. Plasma IL-6 and platelet aggregation reactivity in response to ADP were significantly lower in the prasugrel compared to the clopidogrel and ticagrelor group. Gori et al conclude that as compared to ticagrelor and clopidogrel, therapy with prasugrel in patients undergoing stenting for acute coronary syndromes is associated with improved endothelial function, stronger platelet inhibition, and reduced IL-6 levels, all of which have prognostic implications. This effect was lost in patients who received the study medication immediately after stenting. The manuscript is put into perspective by an editorial by Adnan Castrati from the Deutsches Herzzentrum in Munich, Germany, noting that findings of mechanistic studies such as this of Schnorbus and colleagues may facilitate changes in practice. Low-grade endotoxemia is detectable in human circulation, but its role in thrombosis is still unclear. In a basic science manuscript entitled Low-grade endotoxemia enhances artery thrombus growth via Toll-like receptor 4: implications for myocardial infarction. Roberto Carnavali from the Sapienza University of Rome in Italy and colleagues measured serum lipopolysaccharide or LPS concentration, SP selectin, a marker of platelet activation, and zonulin, a marker of gut permeability, in peripheral circulation coronary thrombi and intracoronary blood of patients with ST elevation myocardial infarction or STEMI, N equaling 50, stable angina or SA, N equaling 50 respectively, and in controls, N equaling 50. Serum LPS, zonulin, and soluble P-selectin or SP-selectin were significantly higher in STEMI compared to SA and control patients. Furthermore, Coronary thrombi from STEMI showed significantly higher concentrations of LPS and SP-selectin than in intracoronary blood of SA. E. coli DNA was positive in 34% of STEMI versus 12% of SA and 4% of controls. E. coli injected in mice to reach LPS concentration, like those detected in coronary thrombi, was associated with enhanced artery thrombosis and platelet activation an effect blunted by TL4 inhibitor co-administration. The authors conclude that STEMI patients disclose an enhanced gut permeability that results in LPS translocation in human circulation and eventually thrombus growth at site of artery lesions via leukocyte platelet interaction. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Diana Adrienne Gorog from the Imperial College London in the United Kingdom. Adipocyte fatty acid binding protein, or AFABP, is an adipokine implicated in various metabolic diseases. Elevated circulation levels of AFABP correlate positively with poor prognosis in ischemic stroke patients, while limited information is available concerning the role of AFABP in the pathogenesis of ischemic stroke. In a basic science article, adipocyte fatty acid binding protein. Exacerbates cerebral ischemia injury by disrupting the blood brain barrier. Boya Liao and colleagues from the University of Hong Kong investigated whether AFABP mediates blood brain barrier or BBB disruption, and if so, which molecular mechanisms underpin this deleterious effect. Circulating AFABP and its cerebral expression were increased in mice after middle cerebral artery occlusion. Genetic deletion and pharmacological inhibition of AFABP alleviated cerebral ischemia injury with reduced infarction volume, cerebral edema, neurological deficits, and neuronal apoptosis. Furthermore, BBB disruption was attenuated and accompanied by reduced degradation of tight junction proteins and induction of matrix metalloproteinase 9 or MMP9. Mechanistically, schema induced elevation of afab selectively in peripheral blood monocyte-derived macrophages and cerebral resident microglia promoted MMP9 transactivation by potentiating junk seed dune signaling, enhancing degradation of tight junction proteins and BBB leakage. The detrimental effects of afab were prevented by pharmacological inhibition of MMP9. The authors conclude that AFABP is a key mediator of cerebral ischemia injury, promoting MMP9 mediated BBB disruption. Inhibition of AFABP is a potential strategy to improve ischemic stroke outcome. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Marco Bacchigaluppi from the Ospedale San Raffaele in Milano, Italy, who observes that the results of this study reinforce the idea that the interference of the pathophysiologically relevant proteins such as aFabP, might be promising in ischemic stroke. In a clinical review article entitled Leaflet Immobility and Thrombosis in Transcatheter Aortic Valve Replacement, Heron Bax and colleagues from the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands note that transcatheter aortic valve replacement, or TAVR, has grown exponentially worldwide in the last decade. Due to the higher bleeding risk associated with oral anticoagulation and in patients undergoing TAVAR, antiplatelet therapy is currently considered first line antithrombotic treatment after TAVAR. Recent studies suggest that some patients can develop subclinical transcatheter heart valve or THV thrombosis after the procedure, and multi detector computed tomography is more sensitive than echocardiography for detection of the THV thrombosis. THV thrombosis can occur whilst on dual antiplatelet therapy with aspirin and phenolpyridine, but significantly less with anticoagulation. This review summarizes the incidence and the diagnostic criteria for THV thrombosis, discusses the pathophysiological mechanisms that may lead to thrombus formation, its natural history, potential clinical implications, and treatment for these patients. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions on the very timely topic of the COVID-19 pandemic. In a contribution entitled Reduction in ACE2 May Mediate the Prothrombotic Phenotype in COVID-19, Ying X. Hu and Diana Gorog from the Imperial College London in the United Kingdom discussed the recent publication Characteristics and Outcomes of Patients Hospitalised for COVID-19 and Cardiac Disease in Northern Italy by Inchiadi and colleagues who respond in kind. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.